0: Welcome to the Femtech Focus Podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. In today's episode, I interview a good friend, Amina Sugimoto, CEO and founder of Fermata. You can find Fermata online at hellofermata.com. Fermata is based in Tokyo, Japan. So you may notice the website is mostly in Japanese, but if you have the same browser I do, it asks if you want it to be in English. Thank goodness, because my uh, Japanese is a little rough. And what you'll see is that Fermata is a multifaceted organization in Tokyo that is supporting and promoting the femtech industry. They do this through a conference that is essentially a roadshow from the very south of Japan all the way to the north of Japan, where every month they have these events and conferences promoting women's health and wellness in all of these different villages and cities across Japan. They have an in-person store in Tokyo that displays femtech products and promotes the conversation around women's health and wellness. They also have a venture fund and they invest in femtech companies. And lastly, they also have a market research arm, so if you're a femtech product that wants to enter the Japanese market, they can help you do that. The conversation I had with Amina was fascinating. We talked about Asian perception on women's health and wellness, and we talked about language and how there are words in um, English that they don't have in Japanese for women's health and wellness and they essentially just say the English word with the Japanese accent, but even then, the impression of what that word really means is different. Super, super interesting uh, interview today. I know you're gonna love it. Um, Love that we're having international people coming on the podcast. So cool. So, I know you'll enjoy it. How's it going over there in Tokyo?
1: Good. Thank you. Um, COVID has sort of, you know, I think it started to come down
0: good, in yeah. the last
1: week. We started, some- started to see some lights. You're starting what? see some lights.
0: Oh, to see some lights. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Um, what's the weather like in Tokyo right now?
1: It's about 22 degrees now.
0: So Celsius, right? So... Yeah. 44 plus 30. It's like 75 Fahrenheit. Yeah,
1: it's pleasant. Very sunny. Spring started. So, yeah, it's good. Cool. It's a time when, you know, um, I think a couple of weeks ago, we had full blossom of uh-huh. cherry blossom. And it was beautiful. Usually people were out having parties, drinking outside. We couldn't really do that this year.
0: <laughs> people <laughs> will appreciate the cherry blossoms way more next year. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, Amina, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. I know we have been friends now for a few months and touch and base, so this is a really exciting moment for me to prove that I have a good friend in Tokyo. Personally, I'm very <laughs> proud of that, and um, <laughs> and uh, I'm really excited for people to hear your story, and in particular what femtech is like over in Asia that is going to be a really (laughs) exciting topic for us so why don't you start by telling our listeners about your background
1: yeah sure uh well first of all thank you for having me I'm quite excited it's my first podcast so uh, I'm a little nervous
0: no worries Um, we're all friends here (laughs) we're all friends we have very nice listeners (laughs)
1: Excellent, thank you. So, um, my background: um, I am a public health professional by training, so I have a doctor of public health. Um, I've I've been in academia for so long, quite a long time, until like three years ago or so. And so, I work in health policy for uh, the past ten years. But then at one point, um, I kind of wanted to change my career. So, the past three or four, three years or so, I actually work at a venture capital. In Japan, um, this the firm I used to work for uh, mainly focused on angel investment, seed, a level investment, looking into like new areas of uh, industry, um, sort of helping out with startups in Japan. And that's when I sort of came across the term femtech. But I also um, my personal background I'm kind of like you know multinational, multi local background. I'm half Japanese, I'm Malaysian. And I also was raiding Africa and educating Europe. So I kind of like, you know, get to see the both side of outside Japan. You're a global woman. You are a global
0: woman. Yes, that's awesome. Excellent. So then what happened?
1: Uh, So you heard about the word
0: femtech and uh, what, did you just drop everything and start talking about vaginas all the time or... What, you know, what motivated you to start something?
1: Yeah. So um, as I said, I was working in healthcare sector for a long time and I was actually in London for, for about four or five years. And at one point at the age of 28, I was like, oh, maybe, maybe it's my time to go back. My passport says I'm Japanese. Brexit happened. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I came back to Japan 2016 or 17 trying to figure out what I want to do. So I was still working in the healthcare sector. But then I think around that time, it's my first time sort of like experience what it's like to live and work as women in my own country. Mm. Um, for the past 27 years growing up in Africa and in Europe, I was more like a flea bird, you know, just trying to do what I love and trying to figure out my careers, just like all of you out there. Um, but in Japan, as soon as I came back, I started to realize uh, people at work and at home asked me about marriage. And like, I probably have to publish a lot of papers in 20s because, you know, I have to have babies in 30s. And all this pressure that I wasn't aware of, um, sort of like, so sort I of experienced everything, right? And and at that point, I was like, oh, maybe this is not the, the sort of like, you know, the world the society that I want to live in. So I changed my career to sort of like look for a new thing. And I think that's when I came across this new venture fund. And and I was sort of struggling, do I want to get married? Do I want to have a kid? But I kind of work. And so while I was there, I came across this uh company, Modern Fertility from the US. In mm-hmm. the US. It's like a it's a company that provided services for women who want to test their ovary age at home. Mm-hmm. That was more like a realization point for me, like, wow, if I could, you know, find out about my own body, how long I can have baby at home where no one knows, and based on what I found, I can make my own decision whether I want to have a kid now or want to continue living, I mean working, I felt like that was more like, that, that is the full definition of like empowerment for women rather like, you know, government trying to create new policies, you know, giving out like opportunity for women to work, like, we have to find out about our own body and be able to have options and opportunity and make a decision on our own. So that's sort of around the time when I, yeah, 2017, when I first heard the term and said sort of figure out why, what can I do? What do I want to do in this space?
0: Wow, that's amazing. It sounds like you were Kind of interested in femtech, but then there was a product that really allowed you to ha- be an independent woman who had, you know, knowledge about her body so she can make decisions about her life, you know, and that really inspired you to move forward in the industry itself. That's amazing.
1: Because I guess simply until then, I didn't know that that wasn't even an option. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't
0: think about it. Yeah.
1: So but you. Then, but then, yeah. So you started something called Fermata. Yeah. So the term Fermata, like, um, so the person, the, the the VC firm that I was in, I don't know if if you know if you uh, the listeners know, but um, there's a family called Son family in Japan. Uh, Son Masayoshi uh, owns this company called SoftBank, and they're doing investment in like WeWork and you know uh, Alibaba. I work with uh, Son Masayoshi's brother, Son Taizo. He's also a serial entrepreneur and investing in. Um, small uh, you know start startups. Mm-hmm. And so when I when I basically mentioned to him, uh Taizo san that I'm kinda interested in this area and then I want to do something, you know, around it within the firm. So so he actually named Farmata for us. You know, when I was discussing with him one to one and uh he was like, oh, maybe we need to have a term mm-hmm. for this project within the firm. And as you know, Farmata is actually a symbol, like the musical symbol. It solo means like uh, a person, a musician, a player can make a pause or uh, depending on, you know, as, as they like basically.
0: Mm-hmm. So they can
1: decide, you know, pose while they're playing an instrument. And he was like, maybe you know, this sort of like, you know, can sort of send out a message that women should be able to dec- decide when they want to, you know, take a break or move forward. Based on their own decision rather than, you know, societal pressure. Yeah. But also, he, yeah. But also, like, fa apparently means fertility and ma means maternity. So like, sort of we play around with the words, um, and he gave me the name uh, Farmata and that sort of started in 2017, I think. And we started off within the firm, uh, looking for uh, investment opportunity within the femtech space. So the first investment we did uh, w- while when I was still at the VC farm, Misato, the VC is called Misato, is, um, is Bloom Life. Bloom Life. What does Bloom Life do? So Bloom Life is a company in San Francisco, based in San Francisco, uh, founded by the CEO called Eric. And what they do is they came up with a very fancy device, a little pass you can put on tummy and it sort of monitors um, pregnancy. But what's interesting about it is that it actually can track uh, contraction. So it's oh. the world, the world first device where. So basically, like you know, although women we've been pregnant like thousands of years, but <laughs> there's, not, there's not a single like you know continuous monitor monitor data on contraction. Wow, of course, <laughs> of course, then, there's not. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. When Eric, you know, um, came up, sort of you know, developed this device and start testing, or like asking women to use it, they decided to uh, collect the big data, right, mm-hmm. on contraction, and now they can sort of like monitor when women is about to have a, you know, delivery, or yeah. if there is a premature yeah. uh, birth. All these things that we were otherwise weren't able to do before. Yeah. Amazing,
0: so that was your first investment. Um, since then, how many investments have you made
1: into femtech companies? Well, so that's interesting, right? So when I, so that's, that was the first investment as a MISOTO member, mm-hmm. as a VC member, and then I wanted to continue. But again, I come from a healthcare background, so my VC experience is only one or two years. So it was re- quite difficult to continue the momentum within the firm, mm-hmm. continue investing because, as much as I love my uh, my uh, co-work, uh, past co uh, previous co workers and community mistletoe community, majority were sort of men, mm-hmm. and as although they're very supportive, they didn't quite get it. I think yeah. So at and, one point,
0: and mistletoe was an established venture capital firm already, and so to just totally change the investment thesis to be a femtech fund is not how VCs work. So, okay. So you were like, let's make all the femtech investments. And they were like, well, we got to diversify our portfolio. Okay, got (laughs) it, got it. (laughs) it. it.
1: Taizo was supportive, uh, chief investment officer uh, from a uh, femtech, Minnesota was very supportive, but then there was a limit to it. So Mm -hmm. at one point, um, Taizo was like, why don't you just leave the firm we support you, but just start on your own and then find your own sort of like communities and members. And, and then, so I left the firm in 2019 spring to see what I can do. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I don't have any portfolio. I was working for a VC, but I'm not a venture capitalist at the time. Mm-hmm. I couldn't really come up with, you know, my own fund at the time. So I simply started a company called framata Inc. Mm-hmm. and started to focus on something different than just an investment yeah so that's where i am now i guess <laughs>
0: yeah okay yeah so for our listeners who aren't you know maybe not familiar with the startup and venture world to venture capitalists essentially distribute funds and invest funds into startups but venture capitalists essentially means it's not their money. They fundraised it from other people, from endowments, from private equity, from bigger chunks of money. And as a VC, in order to start a fund, you have to prove yourself to be a, a good investor. So it's really hard to start a first fund. I could definitely talk, I have a lot of opinions about that, but uh, <laughs> especially for like women starting funds, but we'll we'll put a pin in it. So you realize I can't raise a fund because I haven't really been the head of a investment firm for very long. So what, Mm -hmm. what types of activities did Fermata start to do to show your, you know, your thought leadership in this
1: industry? So initially, right. Like I had my own issue at the age of 29 at the time. What am I going to do with, you know, work and having a baby and all that. So at first, I was just trying to copycat what I found, you know, the modern fertility, because that was just a huge, you know, like, impact on me. And I was like, there's not not a similar service in Japan yet. Maybe we can do, you know, create a kit, self-care kit where women can test their ovary age at home. And I started doing that, but then around, like, last year, around this time, I sort of, like, you know, left work and then spent about a whole week trying to come up with my business plan. But I started to realize that, well, just... Copying what um, what happening outside doesn't work, and so I was sort of stuck for uh, for a couple of months. But at one point, my mentor was like, "Well, if you're sort of stuck and don't know what to do, why don't you just like find out about the femtech world? What's mm-hmm. happening outside?" So what we did so at, at, at this point already, I had about um, I have a co-founder and a few other members of Farmata. And we oh, okay. what we did then is to uh, contacted. basically did the whole research on how many femtech companies are out there, those above seed level investment and before public. How many did you counted, find? In, in 2019, we counted uh, 218, I think. Oh, awesome. The world. And at this point, we didn't include Japanese companies. So we contacted all of them. And then I asked them, we still kinda of wanna throw a party in Japan with your product. Can you send it for free? Like <laughs> we don't have money, can you? Uh-huh. And surprisingly, uh, I think half of the company, about hundred wrote us back. And of, of hundred, about half, about fifty were saying we're still under the development and you know, we can't send it to you, but we still wanna support. And the left um, the remaining 30, 50. About half were software product, mm-hmm. so it's quite difficult. Like Japan cool. translation, you know, yeah, the app is not cool. in Japan and all that. So we end up like focusing on the remaining about twenty to twenty five companies that had a hardware product, mm-hmm. and they shipped us products for free. And luckily, I had this contact, you know, some family, and they own a lot of buildings in Tur- middle of Tokyo, so we managed to rent out, uh, you know, central Tokyo, right in Shibuya. Shibuya is um. It's sort of like a fashion, sort of young people, sort of center in Tokyo. Right next to the big famous crossing, uh, we rented out a space and we exhibited these products like an art gallery. Cool. What kind
0: of products, what, where did you get?
1: It's. I think it varies from like mes- um, a period all the way to uh, menopause. So we obviously have Bloom Life and we had a product uh, Keg uh-huh. and also yep. It tracks uh, vaginal uh, fluid quality. We had um, a lot of uh, s- sexual wellness products, mm-hmm. women's plate products, uh, menstrual cup. There is a product that sort of with a menstrual cup has a device in it that tracks um, um, sort of women's sort of period uh, sort of data. Mm-hmm. Uh- <laughs> yeah. So all sorts, right. And we sort of experienced, put all this product like an art gallery uh-huh. and name it, this uh, whole event as Femtech Fest <laughs> and um, we put it on the uh, event site online. We, there were some costs with it. So we, the ticket was about $25, I think in the U S dollars and then see what, who would turn out and then turn out that tickets sold out. We only had 60 tickets it sold out. There were a lot of women, a lot of people in a awaiting this. And I think in the end, about 120 people also came. Amazing. A lot, of, a lot of media came. So and so the whole event was that people can come and go to the ga- art gallery. And I did about 20, 30 minutes talk about what femtech is or how, you know, and then people can have drinks and have a party afterwards. Mm-hmm. So that was a, sort of, you know, I think a moment for me that people have sort of heard of Femtech especially those ladies in Tokyo right but they've never seen it and they sort of have this you know unmet need with their own wellness sexual wellness they're wanting to have some solution but but they haven't really you know came across any wow so they were so they were interested
0: they're interested in it but they've literally never seen it are you are you implying there's not a lot of Femtech products in Japan?
1: So at the moment, um, when, so we did a research again this year in 2020, we identified 51 femtech companies in Japan, in Japan. Wow. But, but majority are, um, I wouldn't say majority, but in the big ones, I think the trend is the same in the U S but big ones are sort of run by men and, uh, sort of like period tracking device. Or a fertility kind of related product. What we managed, what the difference between uh, the I see is that what's happening in outside Japan and Japan is that in the abroad, like mainly in the San Francisco and in New York, I think they're more like more. Um, they're more products. They're actually focusing on real w- problems and approaching it from a very charismatic sort of approach. Yeah. So I think people were really like, in a way, impressed to see that there are, we don't have to approach, let's say, period by just starting a company on organic period products. Mm-hmm. You know, there are other ways, other ways that we can actually solve these problems
0: in America, it was almost, or like, you know, United States-based femtech startups were more about, like, the exploration and the fun of women's biology, and Japan's femtech were more, like, reproduction, like, process-focused products. Am I hearing that right? Yeah, so, yeah,
1: yeah, in a way. So uh, what I always say is that, um, for example, like, environmental issues in women's, uh, you know, uh, you know, environmental issues, or these rights issues, racial issues. I feel like a lot of it has been on the table. We start to discuss that already, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And when, when 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 there is a discussion, people start to share issues, verbalize it, and then they started to sort of you know the statements are made. And once the statements are made and being questioned, a lot of like a uh, product come out from it. But yeah. when it comes to women's yeah. wellness and sexual wellness, I guess it's also the same in the US as well. But we're just—it's like in the tip of an iceberg, right? We're just talking about on the surface. Yeah, is a lot of considered taboo, but then we're not really discussing the core issues, and then unless we actually discuss the core issue actual solution won't come out of it. And I think more discussions are happening in the U S and Europe, whereas in Japan, although we do have 51 companies, not many, not many of them are approaching the real, real issues. Yeah. So you have this femtech
0: fest, you, Oh, you sell out, you have, you know, oversubscribed, all these people show up, you are learning about, you know, what the community in Japan thinks about and feels about femtech. What did you do next?
1: So that was the first, right? We were like, oh my God, we can, there's something that we can do on this. So initially I was focused on coming up with my own product, but I am more like a policy person. My, co- my co-founder is is uh, really good at community making. Mm-hmm. We're core strengths are not technical, mm-hmm. more like human. So that's, I think was a realization that we probably have to approach this uh, from different perspective. <laughs> So what we started to do is to sort of create user community and entrepreneur community within Japan and also, you know, connecting with a uh, global femtech community as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what we, what Farmata does now is pretty much creating a marketplace, a femtech-focused marketplace in Japan and Asia. So we're kind of also interested in uh, expanding Asia as well, where um, biologically defined women can come to this platform and depending on their sort of personal needs career goals what they want in life can find options for their sexual wellness and wellness um yeah so 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 what do you mean by
0: a marketplace is it a digital marketplace
1: or an in-person marketplace E C site now a store, our online store, where we started to sort of, you know, accumulate all these different products. And we also have or will have a physical store in Tokyo opening. So it was supposed to open in April, but because of COVID, it's now put on to July. It's kind of like a high-end select shop where not all of it will be femtech products. About 40% of it will be femtech products. So it's kind of like a customer will come, and then we'll pick, you know, we'll pick, like, a, a nice bottle of wine or a, uh, a, a, let's say, a jacket or clothing. And then next to it, there's a Femtech product. We uh, Femtech Fest, before COVID, we were planning to travel all around Japan and then uh, host similar events. One thing we realized that, though, like, we have to create a market in Femtech. Mm. Yeah, so that's... Uh, that's that's what we're doing now. Um, we're creating a market. What I mean by, by what I mean by that is that there's a growing number of femtech companies and product in Japan and also abroad. But unless people are willing to buy it, the market not going to grow.
0: Yeah. And then one
1: of the biggest challenges I think in Japan and Asia is that, as I said, because there's not there hasn't really been much discussion around it. Although half the population is biologically defined women, But they're not really – they're not aware of their own personal health needs or wellness needs or sexual wellness needs. They don't even know the things that could –
0: they want. (laughs) They don't even know.
1: Just like when I met Modern Fertility, I was like, oh, I didn't know that that option existed. And, yeah, so that's sort of the things that we're doing now, creating a market within Japan and Asia, bringing all these products from abroad in Japan in one place, creating a marketplace uh, physically and online, and we provide an option tailored towards the need of an individual. Amazing. Have you
0: um, market, like surveyed the Japanese, you know, population about how they, are they excited about this store? Are they nervous? Are they confused? How does the Japanese people feel about this femtech marketplace?
1: So, we haven't done a proper research on this. So we actually collaborate with a university now to sort of start um, some sort of a research around uh, people's awareness and the possibility of market um, in Japan. But interestingly, as soon as we started last September, uh, the fashion industry sort of picked it up. So, WWD, Vogue, uh, we're working with them now a big companies, um, a multinational companies in japan we work with them now sort of um because they are also interested they think that that's the future a lot of Mm -hmm. investors in japan started to come and talk to us about what can we do you know yeah Uh, yeah
0: i wish (laughs) i wish um, (laughs) i wish the american investors would do that because it truly is such a market you know that is growing and it's so valuable like most of the people on this podcast are, you know, wanting to do good in the world, but there's also so much money to be made. So you yeah. got some really strong partners because they know that the market is there and investors are approaching you. That's really
1: awesome. Yeah, I think it was, I was very lucky because I have this personal connection with Son Taizosan. And he is a serial entrepreneur uh, in, in Japan and in Asia. He's a well-known investor as well. So having his money to put on first really kind of made other investors realize that, oh, this might be the place that I should be looking for as well. Oh, my gosh. That's so cool.
0: Um, I know on a phone call we had a few weeks ago, you said something that just blew my mind. And I would love for our listeners to hear about this. You said that mm-hmm. in the Japanese language... That there are not terms for some of these women's health issues or body parts or stuff. Can you tell us about, like, the wording,
1: the Japanese words? Yeah, so this is something that I we came across recently as well as we were working. And uh, there is a project running with a Japanese, one of quite a big company and an art gallery that we're trying to uh, produce, create an art gallery focusing on sexual wellness and because my team comprised of like you know bilinguals uh-huh. and their game is like fully Japanese I mean domestic you know um I shouldn't say domestic you know basic Japanese yes they're they're <laughs> um, yeah yeah and we start to realize that although we're talking about the same topic, we're not ha- the conversation is really isn't matching. Mm. And what we realize is that though like we do have some words in Japanese. For example, sexual wellness. We say sexual readiness. We just, you know, uh, pronounce it in a Japanese way simply because we don't have a word. Wow. When we say sexual wellness or sexual wellness. What we de- what we mean as Formato team and what Japanese team, you know, define it, it was totally different. Wow. And my like, team. She- one of the team members started to sort of, you know, list all these vocabularies that existed in, Amer- in English, mm-hmm. and then we translated it into Japanese, and then we started to realize that there's so many words that simply does not exist in Japanese, and then we can translate, right? So we can translate, we can, there are, there are some words that are actually in the dictionary as well, but the definitions are different.
0: Oh, so even if you do have the word in Japanese, what that word is thought to be is very different. I love your sexual yeah. wellness one cuz I think we can really tease that one apart, right? Like sexual wellness in America oftentimes includes pleasure, you know? So yes. but is sexual wellness <laughs> what is sexual wellness perceived as in Japan?
1: See, we people don't know. <laughs> it's not clear. <laughs> Another good example is just uh living femtech world but then for example, the term uh, women's power, women. female power, uh-huh. right? The literal translation is Joshi Ryoku. Joshi means woman and Ryoku means power. Now, how we perceive it is the power of being woman like, you know. How much can we uh, be the definition of women so that we can be liked by men? Oh my, it's almost like
0: femininity, like how do you, how much (laughs) feminine do you have in you rather than like boss babe, CEO lady kind of thing. Oh my gosh,
1: interesting. Totally, 180 degrees different. Another example is privilege. The term privilege, we do have Japanese word for it, but it doesn't have the same definition as the US, you know? So
0: Wow, I thought I had a I thought I had a lot of issues to overcome in America with educating people, but at least people are somewhat on the same page about these words. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to make new words, or you're trying to change people's minds about
1: the definition? I think that's we we I don't really see it as a challenge. I think it's more exciting. Oh, cause, good, good. Because <laughs> what format so is before? Uh, before the whole realization, we used to define Formata as more like a leading femtech, some ecosystem in Japan and Asia, right, like mm-hmm. providing awareness, community awareness, also providing uh, startup support. But uh, we now see more ourselves as more like a producer, like creating new values in culture. and culture. Wow. To educate them, I think education kind of based on the sort of you can educate people in the U.S. maybe because you have this common understanding of certain terms, mm-hmm. common understanding of culture and values. When when working on this in a, in a country or region where that doesn't even exist, we can just start from the scratch.
0: Oh, so my job is harder because I'm trying to push something that already exists. You're just <laughs> growing a new garden. <laughs> I'm trying to pull weeds yeah. out of my garden. You're growing a new yeah. one.
1: <laughs> in a way, yes, because... Interestingly, you know um, trying to sort of bring in the for example the concept of definition of sexual wellness in Japan as it is defined in the US may be harder because mm. you know it might not match with the existing culture or how people you know perceive sex or wellness. Yeah. We just have to you know create a new values based on the need, really the need of uh, the people here. Yeah, I think the Europeans
0: probably have the easiest one cuz they like have breasts in commercials and people there talk about sex a lot more and so um I think Europe has it has it made a little bit more than <laughs> than our the United States or Tokyo.
1: Yes, that's true. And interestingly, like, you know, uh when I was living in Europe, I was, you know, like talking telling my uh, partner or people at work I have uh, have period, I have menstrual pain, I'm on, um, you know, like I'm feeling down because of my period. That was so normal, right? Like mm-hmm. people were fine with it. Now that's a bit of a challenge in Japan because people have different sort of relationship with periods and people there's, there's a taboo around it. Yeah. yeah. But that doesn't really mean that like, you know, um, people are not, the cult, it doesn't really mean that like, people, people who are, well, how can I phrase it? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, fine words. (laughs) It's hard. (laughs) What I mean is that um, there are people quite open about these things in in Asia as well. Mm -hmm. It just sort of concentrated in in cities like Tokyo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For us, it's really easy to find um, friends who are on the same page as us. I think just like in London or New York, San Francisco, but I guess it's the same in the US or Europe. If you go to countryside, it's yeah. a different story. Yeah. Is that why FemTech
0: Fest was actually an event every month in a different Japanese city?
1: Yeah. So the first city we went was a little island down the size of Japan. Mm-hmm. So it took us, and it took us an hour and a half to get to, another a big island down the south, and had to take a little flight all the way to a little island and it so we went to this island called goto island in the qc region there's only one gynecologist and a one gynecologist clinic for how many women oh, i actually don't know i should have counted that <laughs> <laughs> but the, the island is not that big at all right uh-huh. and when we wanted to host it interestingly the local government was like yeah we, we need something like that so they're the one who pick it you know, they asked us to collaborate, so we collaborate with the local government and the local gynecologist. Hosted a party at the gynecologist, and they called women in the community to come. Uh-huh. And unlike Tokyo, it's like fancy drinks party. It was more like a tea party at this island, right? Yeah, uh, we had some giri rice bowls and. And we had a we had this like a tea party event for about three hours. The first an hour and a half, they were dead quiet. They didn't say a word because they were just like, "I don't know what you're talking about," kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But then towards the end, interestingly, all the ones that wanted started the started the conversation. Wow! And then started to tell us a story about uh, how, their experience. Um, on menopause how their period ended and and then once they start talking everyone started to talk yeah you're telling me how although we live so close by in the little islands and families are being together for like you know hundreds of years but so the, the community is really tight and strong but we, even with that community uh, they had never experienced being able to talk about their personal health needs with, uh, with each other, and that was their first experience. So uh, we have to change the approach. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Wow, you really made an impact on that island. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, we were planning on doing that you know, all over Japan. We had a plan on which which months to go in which cities, and we we're collaborating with the local governments then, but because of COVID, we can't do it now. But now we, we host online events. Mm-hmm. We do like Wednesdays and Saturday, Femtech Fest, uh, different themes, we invite specialists. Uh, Last Saturday, we did an event on sexual wellness. We had a sex therapist um, coming in and over 180 people participated as a guest. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. I think online is working now, especially now that everyone's
0: at home. Yeah, yeah. Thank God we have... Technology. I don't know what I would do if we didn't have technology and we had to stay home. Seriously, I would. I guess I'd read. I don't know. <laughs> um, what are some of your future future
1: goals for Fermata? So, um, things that we've been discussing up um, until now, we really want to redefine or redesign the values and culture around women's wellness and sexual wellness in Japan and Asia. Uh, By becoming like the first Femtech marketplace. Mm -hmm. Online and offline, right? Trading communities, uh, user community, and also entrepreneur communities, putting them together. Um, So that's something that we're sort of going ahead now
0: as a team. Yeah, and I know, um, again, we spoke a few weeks ago, and again, you said something that I was like, holy moly, that is something that is very important. And you said that you're actually helping products from other countries enter the Japanese market and using your in-person store almost like a market research place to see if their product would work well in your country. Um, Also, I'd love it if you told our listeners, you you were telling me about um, the size of the products needing to be adjusted for Japanese women and maybe the colors meaning something different to American women than Japanese women. Tell us about that. It's so exciting.
1: So, uh, it's, so I, again, I said I have a healthcare background. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was working on pharmaceutical a- affair before my strengths my in sort of health economics, how to bring a new exciting healthcare product to a new market and um, sort of, you know, so basically how to, accessibility parts, that's what I was doing for the whole time. And then I worked for the VC and then now for Mata, I just kind of realized that, ooh, I can actually link my, you know, strengths together, all together, and then, you know, I realized it in my new firm. So the first question he asked, what we do ask at Pharmata uh, is um, pretty much breaking down all the barriers that a small company, femtech company has uh, for entering a new market. The, the biggest legal are so like pharmaceutical affair part, right, is it a medical device, or is it a quasi medical device? How, how much does it take? How long the clinical trial takes? These things, I think there are companies that uh, provide consultancy, but super expensive, and small companies, you know, startups cannot afford that. No. we actually can't provide that service for free. And if there's an ex- other regulatory or uh, you know approval that needs to be made, like for Bluetooth and you know, other techno- uh, electronic um, products, we do help on help them on that as well. And we have up to class two medical device in Japan uh, license being able to import products. So if they want to start selling in Japan, we can also, from a small quantity as well, can bring in the product, distribute it with their own channel, but also if they want to go big in Japan, we have retail relations as well, big department stores and a high-end um, sort of pharmaceutical, uh, pharmacy, pharmacies, we can wow. distribute into these. Um, the things you mentioned about market tasting. So one thing I realized when, um, while I was hosting, you know, a few Femtech fests around, uh, a few in Tokyo and also in the countryside is that women's are excited to sort of, you know, be able to tax and fill this product. But they question like, would it fit me? Um, in Japan, 90% of women are using Pats. Only about 10% are using, yeah, using tampon. There's some sort of, uh, Women, um, a large amount of women are afraid to put something in the vagina. They're not used to it. Wow, okay. So, for example, if there is a product that can measure your fertility or even a, sort of uh, repair your vaginal tissues, there are products out there in the U.S. that we want to bring into Japan. First of all, there's a fear. And then these products uh, tend to be designed for a uh, site <laughs> – it might sound wrong, but sizable women in the US or in Europe yeah. and Asian people tend to be petite and smaller. So, by size, biologically, uh, it, by biology, it can fit Japanese women, but they tend to think that it won't fit me.
0: Okay, yeah. And we're just to be clear here, we're not talking about like bras, we're talking about something that's inserted in the vagina. Yeah, and, te- so and had- you're telling me that Japanese women do have the same size vaginas as the rest of the world, but there's like this perception that they're maybe much smaller. Whoa, yeah. so okay.
1: <laughs> whenever we had events, uh, you know, women tend to sort of, you know, pick up these products and they, in a group, they sort of like the first question they ask is Would it fit you? I don't think it fits me. Isn't it going to be painful? Yeah. That kind of question. Also, um, color is very interesting. Um, I think Japan is still in that way conservative that um, women, the color that women associate as woman like or um, cute. Mm-hmm. So,
0: pink. There's, the Japanese women like pink objects rather than blue. And,
1: uh, in general, right? Yeah. So, I'm just, you know, this not for everyone. Yeah, but then yeah. The concept, yeah, the concept of gender neutral is still very uh new. Yes. Wow. Well, a lot of FemTech products abroad are uh, you know focusing on creating a this sort of uh designing a product around gender neutral. And we want to push that. Formato wants to push that. So we're actually supporting now a company in Japan um two female uh football player, female football player who want to come up with gender free, uh neutral underwear, period underwear. So we kind of, we do want to push that movement, but at the same time, uh, if a company wants to, uh, you know, well in Japan, just details that we uh, need to be, you know, rethink of, have to rethink. Mm -hmm. And for that, uh, we have a store and also online store physical store and online store so they can test market their product in a small quantity if they need to. Wow. That's
0: incredible. Oh Well, I cannot wait to come to Tokyo and come to your store. I'm going to pretty much just hang out
1: there the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So there are a lot of like, you know, nice bars and fancy restaurants nearby. Oh my
0: gosh. I'm going to be the American lady talking about vaginas in Tokyo. That's going to be me. Um, so- <laughs> we-
1: together.
0: And be, <laughs> um, we love to ask our uh, guests on the podcast, two questions. The first okay. is if one of our listeners is an aspiring entrepreneur, they want to start a femtech company, but they don't know what to build. What are some areas in femtech that need innovating?
1: So I would say, um, you know, the typical answer will be Sexual wellness, menopause, perhaps women's specific diseases are going to probably become hot and hot soon. But I think there is still a space that we can tackle that I just don't know how to define it yet. But then what I often start to hear is that, um, right, the healthcare needs, let's say healthcare needs are met now, sexual wellness needs, there's a certain sort of product out there. But all this sort of career-related mental health, there's a lot of stigma around women's health and, like, societal pressure. So I think, you know, the way I see FemTech product is an opportunity for women to have options, right? Yes, I love it. (laughs) What's going to happen in, you know, two years' time, three years' time, is that there will be there will be options, you know, enough options, but what's, but do people then can make a decision then, you know, I think there's, I, I just can't even sort of articulate or like, you know, the issue there,
0: Yeah. but,
1: um, a good friend of mine from Europe, you know, calls me up and say, I'm having a career now and I'm married. And, and, um, but I don't know if I need to have a kids and, you know, just, And in some sort of like, yeah, do you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, well, what I
0: hear you say is like innovation to assist women in the new age of feminine, right? Like the new age of women now is that women are on boards and they're CEOs and, you know, um, they're at work and, you know, they're educated and they're doctors. And so what are the innovations happening to help, support them in that journey because women are biologically different, right? We do have yeah. eggs that have a timer on them and we have breasts that are used to feed the baby. You know, there are certain biological things that it's like, okay, the woman does have to do this. Um, am I hearing you right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the solution to the lon- loneliness, the woman experienced mm. through that journey. maybe. Me-
0: yeah, totally. Yeah,
1: You know, one decide that, okay, I'm, I'm a career lady and I'm not going to have a baby and I will um, focus on my career. Or another lady say, I'll be a single lady, a single woman and a single mother, sorry, <laughs> and have a kid continue on my career. Or they say that, oh, I'll just forget about my career and then just stay with my kids at home. These are options women can take. But then but then depending on the country and the culture, there's social pressures and I think women struggle to be okay with it. That's right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I heard um, back in my last company, I learned a lot about the dating space around the world. And I learned about a term in in China called the forgotten women. And it was, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. But what I learned was that it was women who were highly educated, um, very professionally successful, and they had passed the age of 30 and still hadn't been married. And they were considered the forgotten women because they are almost very undesirable. And there was a matchmaker making buku money, matching these smart, successful business Chinese women who were 31, 32 mm-hmm. with American men. And, you, you know, that it's you may think mail order bride. It's not that. It was like actually empowering these women to find love because they absolutely deserved it. And, you know, these were good men who wanted to love these amazing women but they were living in a country and a culture that, you know, thought if you weren't married and bearing children by 30, you're almost like
1: useless. Yeah. Um, there's a term now in, J- in Japanese, kachigumi, which literally means like winner group, like th- the winner for, for those who are, you know, married and have, uh, have three kids. Wow. We needed redefine
0: winning women in Japan. We need to read. Wow.
1: So I guess, you know, uh, sort of innovation around women's health and sexual wellness have to come along with, uh, sort of alleviating all this loneliness and, you know, providing solutions for women who are strong enough to, to, you know, live their own path, but yet need support. Mm. Um, I love it.
0: Yeah, Amina, this has been so much fun. I have, i love talking to you, even though we have to talk at very strange hours. I don't care. I love it. (laughs) And I cannot wait to visit you in Tokyo one day. Come to your femtech shop. Um, let's try to franchise it, make a femtech shop everywhere in every country. You know, Mm -hmm. um, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for your time today, Amina.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And, um, yeah, it was a great experience. I haven't really had an opportunity to sort of explain this in English. So for the listeners, it might have been a little difficult, no, it might be difficult to understand what I'm saying, but
0: yeah, thank you. We're we're all in this together. It's good.
1: Excellent. Right. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Bye. All right, bye.
0: Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Amina Sugimoto of Fermata. Again, you can check out Fermata at www.hellofermata.com. I'm super excited to one day go to Tokyo and visit their store. If you're in Tokyo, you got to hit up Amina. Um, Follow Hello Fermata. uh, Follow Femtech Focus. We'll get you in touch with Amina. Um, Really, really exciting stuff over there and super fascinating cultural differences. And, you know, what are the struggles femtech faces in America versus Europe versus, you know, Asia? Super, super interesting. Well, if you love this podcast, you want to keep hearing more. Make sure to subscribe and rate and review. Share it with a friend. If you have folks in Asia that you're friends with, share it. Tell them this one's specifically about Tokyo. Super, super cool. Follow us on social media, Femtech Focus, on all the platforms, at Femtech Focus. And, you know, send us a message. Tell us what you want to hear about. Until next time, keep innovating in Femtech, because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.